Turning to Isaiah chapter 6 again, please. The sixth chapter of Isaiah. We had to spill over from last week onto this. We're going to close it up tonight and go on then to something else. Isaiah chapter 6, this great sixth chapter of the evangelical prophet Isaiah. And verse 1, this is the turning point in his ministry. When he got through these, this chapter, he was a new man, still preaching, but preaching in a different way, still a believer, but a believer in a different way, still loving the Lord, but loving him in a greater way. And we all need visions like that. We all need times in our life when we're revitalized and strengthened and we get a new look at the Savior. So we're at chapter 6 and verse 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and his train or his skirt or garments filled the temple. Above it stood the seraphims, each one had six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he did fly. And one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts, and the whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the door moved, or the foundations of the door moved at the voice of him that cried, and the house was filled with smoke. Or that can't be translated with a cloud. Then said I, this is Isaiah penning this himself. Then said I, woe is me, for I am undone. Because I am a man of unclean lips, and dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then flew one of the seraphims unto me having a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with the tongs from off the altar, and he laid it upon my mouth, and said, Lo, this hath touched thy lips, and thine iniquity is taken away, and thy sin is purged. With Isaiah chapter 6, and reading at the verse 8. Also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Then said I, Here am I, send me. And he said, Go and tell this people, Hear ye indeed, but understand not, and see ye indeed, but perceive not. Make the heart of this people fat, and make their ears heavy, and shut their eyes, lest they see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, understand with their heart, and convert and be healed. Then said I, Lord, how long? And he answered, Until the cities be wasted, and the inhabitants and the houses without man, and the land be utterly desolate. And the Lord have removed men far away, and there be a great forsaking in the midst of the land. But yet it shall be a tenth, and it shall return, and shall be eaten as a teal tree, and as a nook whose substance is in them when they cast their leaves. So the holy seed shall be the substance thereof, and so reads the word of the Lord. 
for the benefit of those who were not here last week and to refresh the memory of those of you who were. Our theme is these nights, victories in the valleys. Victories in the valleys. We're, we're endeavoring to lift out of the Old Testament men and women who have been subject to deep, dark experiences in life, valley experiences that we all know something about. Those that have been battered and bruised, those that have been maligned and misunderstood, those who have been tested and tried, and as we say sometimes, those who are in the teeth, the very teeth of the gale. When all seems to be lost, when there doesn't seem to be much hope, when everything around us seems to be falling apart, and as the Apostle Paul put it when they were in the storm in the Adriatic, remember, 14 days, there was neither sun nor moon nor stars, there was no light. They were beaten up and down the Adriatic. And he said that all hope that we would be saved were gone. And every hope was taken out of the way. And then he said, the angel of the Lord appeared and said unto us, fear not. And you'll find that in circumstances of deep valleys, you, the angel of the Lord, the Lord himself, will appear in some way or another. Sometimes we'll have to go very deep until he will appear to us. Seems at times maybe he's mocking us. Seems at times that nothing's going to happen. But the Lord knows the right time to intervene. And we're dealing with these nights with what we call theophanies or Christophanies. That is the Lord Jesus appearing in the Old Testament. And there's many of them in the Old Testament. Here we are 800 years before he was born in Isaiah's psalm. You see, he's the eternal son of the eternal God. And so what we're dealing with these nights is men in the, and women in the Old Testament who had an encounter with none other than the Lord Jesus Christ, the incarnate Son of the living God. And it's going to be an experience to see some of the other uh, ones that we're going to look at. Now that was the experience of the young prophet Isaiah. When the great king Uzziah, the mighty king, who was a name known to all in the area and done mighty things for them, the great king Uzziah died. And the nation went into meltdown. And the first five chapters of this prophecy read that the whole politic of the nation had gone, as we say, to the very dogs. The whole head was sick and sore and wounds and bruises and putrefying sores. They, they had rebelled against God and God was angry with them. And then on top of all this, this man that Isaiah looked to, this king, he he looked up to, he's only a young man, he's about 18 or 19 at this time. And he looked up to this great king and, and, and then God smote him with leprosy because he rebelled, as we've seen last week. And so Isaiah retreated and uh, responded by going into the temple. And it's always good to go into the house of God and it's always going to go, go in amongst God's people. Sometimes when people are in valleys and troubles and trials, they seem to isolate themselves. But it seemed to me that Isaiah, in the midst of all this, when he could find no answers and didn't know what was going on, 
It seems to me that he went into the temple, the house of God, or the sanctuary. And as he sought for solace there, and that's obviously he did, he, he, he just meditated in the sanctuary, then he saw the vision. He saw a vision of the Lord Jesus Christ. John tells us, John the Apostle in John 12, that it was none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. That he saw a vision of the Lord Jesus Christ on the throne, high and lifted up. And he saw the beautiful seraphims, the most beautiful of all God's creatures in creation. The seraphims called the fiery ones. And there, I don't know how many seraphims there were, some because they cried, holy, holy, holy. There was one crying, holy, there was only three of them. There could have been 3,000, all crying, holy, around the throne of God, of the Lord Jesus. What a mighty sight that must have been. And this man was taken up, he was taken out, up out of this valley experience, and he got his eyes onto this mighty throne and these seraphims. They had six wings, with two that covered their face, so that they were not able to, they couldn't look on the majesty of the Lord Jesus. And this is known throughout the word of God. Men could not look at, look at God. They could never see God, but they couldn't see even into the face of the Lord Jesus Christ in situations like this. These covered, they covered their, their face, and the two, they covered their feet. Now, whenever you think of that, the two wings that covered their face was their mouth and their lips and their tongue. That's to do with words. It's very important you get this tonight. That's to do with their words, mainly with their words. And you'll know that and you'll see that as we go on down. And the two covering their feet had to do with the work. That's activity. So here we have this man in the middle of an awful act of life, not understanding what was going on, and God speaking to him. He's speaking to him that these seraphims, that they have covered their mouth, they're saying nothing, and that they've covered their feet, and that they're doing nothing, they're speechless. This message, this message was the message that at this moment was being relayed to Isaiah, being relayed to us, and being related to the church. And we need to stop here, and we need to think about this. The very first thing now he was faced with was a speechless and a workless seraphim. And you think about this, 75% of the seraphims in this position here were taken up with worship and with waiting. Only 25%, the only wings that they were flying with, that they did fly, that they were flying with. So 75% was taken up with work, with, with worshiping rather, and waiting. And it seems that God was saying, now stop. And maybe he's saying that to some of us tonight, or someone listened to me this evening. He's saying to you, now stop. I have something to say to you. You're far too busy. You're far too busy. You're far too active. What you're saying is not right at times. You need to stand back and watch your tongue and your words and what you're saying. Now, I don't know what was going on in this man's heart, but I know that this message came from heaven, and that was the, that was the, 
one of the reasons that they were covered their face and covered their feet. Hold on. Hold on. You see, we can be all active. We can be going from morning to night. And we're in such a busy world, oh, with phones and YouTubes and all sorts of gadgets and our Mind, boy, you walk up the street of the day and see all them children coming out of school and they're all ticking at phones and looking at phones and looking at photos. I don't know what's going on in their mind. We're so busy. We're so active. And we can be active in the Lord's work too. Be so active in the... This man was in the Lord's work. This fellow here was preaching. He preached in the first five chapters. And you'll not find anything wrong with anything that he said. But the Lord says now... I'm pulling the reins. And he wants to pull the reins on us at times, you know, to slow us down. He wants to show us that we need to spend some time alone with God. We need to be worshipping. We need to be waiting in his presence. That's the message that's coming through, that's coming through here. He's saying, be still, sit still, and stand still. Remember Moses when he came to the brink of the Red Sea. He didn't know what to do. And God said to him, Fear not, stand still, and see the salvation of the Lord today. Just stand still, Moses. Remember he says to Ruth, Be still. Or or to Ruth, sit still. And then be still, and stand still. We're anything but still. I'm speaking about myself. We have to be doing something, going here, going there, going the other place. If it's children, if it's something, all legitimate things maybe. But, but the time that we spend in worship and just before the Lord, we're not doing it. And we need to do it if we're going to see a vision. We need to do it if we're going to see a different type of ministry in our lives. We need to pull back. We need to pull back in quietness and in confidence is our strength. And wait thou in God. Now, this dark valley that the prophet found him in was of course compiled by the, and compounded by the death of the great Uzziah, great King Uzziah, and the state of the nation. So here he is and he's, he's alone with God and he feels his inability to do anything. He sees his inability, he's preaching and he's woeing. There were five woes in those first five chapters. But nothing's happening. There's no results from his ministry. And then this King Uzziah died. But you know, friend, this is the way with God. I have learned this over 50 years now. That God, the sovereign God, has to teach us. He has to train us. He has to show us things that we will never see unless we get into a position in a place like this. He has to take us down into the valley before we can come up. Now, that's a precedent in the Word of God. That's a precedent right through the Scriptures. God has to take us low before he lifts us high. That was the way with the Lord Jesus Christ. He came from above. He had to come low, and nobody ever went as low as he did, but nobody ever went as high as he did. And he has to take us low. He has to take us into the valley. He can't teach us or train us any other way. He'll not teach us and train us hardly anything on the mountaintop. I have learned very little when everything's going well. 
I've learned very little, 34 years in this corner. I have learned very little when everything's rosy and everything's bright. But I have learned a lot when I'm down in the valley. I've learned a lot when there's no way to turn because it's at that time that he comes and he blesses us. The mountaintop experience is good and we all love them, but we all want to stay there. We cannot stay there. If we're going to be learned, if we're going to be strengthened, if we're going to be equipped, if we're going to have a ministry, if we're going to do what God wants us to do, we have to come down very, very low. And before this man can be the prophetical man that he will be after this, the evangelical man that he'll be after this, and the Emmanuel man that he'll be after this, because the next chapter he's, he's, he's right into the Lord Jesus. Talking about his birth. Talks about his birth. Talks about his life. Talks about his death in Isaiah 53. So he has got, God has to deal with him before he can use him. Before he can use him. And the way that he deals with him is to take him away out of the situation and get all the idols out of his life. Get his eyes off Uzziah. Uzziah's gone. I have struck, God says, I have struck him with leprosy. In this same place that you are, I struck him with leprosy because he rebelled against Get your eyes off him. Get your eyes off the trouble in the nation because you can do nothing about it. And he brought him into this, into this place where he put him into a place where there's no rivals, no idols, and no lovers. He has to separate us from all from all these things. Remember Isaac? Abraham. God had to take Abraham into the very place where he put his own son upon the altar that he could prove him to see that he loved him and to see that he feared him. And when Abraham went through God in Genesis 22, God had to remove everything even, even, even Isaac. You see, God will not have idols in our life. He'll not have rivals in our life. He alone must sit on the on, 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 on our heart's throne. He alone. And he'll do everything he can, take us into the deepest valley, so that we lift our eyes unto him and see him for who. He is, and then he said to Abraham after he offered up Isaac and went the whole way, he went the whole way, didn't he say, Now I know that you fear me. Wonder do we fear the Lord tonight? If any man come after me, Jesus says he has to take up his cross and follow me. Abraham is Tosha said, I've quoted before, when you saw a man in these days with the cross. He was only going one place and he was only going one way. He wasn't coming back. He was going to die. You know, sometimes we sing, there's room at the cross. Well, I, Leonard Graham had changed that. Him and he, he, he changed it and he says, there's room on the cross. Well, you can come, there's room at the cross. We come to the cross and we can see it. And we're born again by the Spirit. And we know it and thank God. And we're on our way to heaven. And there's a heaven for us. And Jesus is my Savior. And I love the Lord. And I love the meetings. But it's getting on the cross is another thing. 
The room of the cross, there's room on the cross. We have to die to things that hinder us, or we will not see the victory of the death. <coughs>
good. He saw his power. He saw his beauty. He saw his majesty. He saw his holiness. Does any wonder, no man? Does any wonder, John and the head of Patmos, who lay on his bosom, who was the beloved apostle, and he saw the living Christ in the head of Patmos, he, he fell on his feet as dead. Peter, when that fishing something went wrong, he said to cast on that out on the other side, Peter said, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O God. When you come into close contact with Christ, into contact with the cross, into contact with his holiness and his gloriness, my friend, you'll see a different, you'll see a different you and a different me. What are you trying to say? You just forgot what I'm trying to say. The problem was not with the hands. The problem was with the heart. The heart is deceitful and above all things desperately wicked. Jesus says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The trouble here is with the mouth, the lips. We're going to see that. It should be that. The mouth is the tool. The old Puritans used to say, the mouth is the tool and the servant and the instrument of the heart. The heart is case. So we look at your verse again, just as it was in the here in verse 5. Woe is me, for I am unknown because of a man of unclean lips. A people of unclean lips. Verse 7, and he laid it upon my mouth and said, Oh, this is such thy lips. So, with the Holy Spirit and all that in there, if there wasn't something wrong, it was coming from the heart to his lips, to his mouth. Well, you might say to me, nothing wrong, I didn't say anything wrong. Did it? Maybe if you go back to what you might have said earlier. I can't understand how we can criticize one another from morning to night. We can talk about the past, we can talk about the family, we can talk about others, and it never seems to affect us. There's something terribly wrong. And when he gets into the presence of Paul, that's why the old ones used to say, keep short accounts. Get on your knees at your bedside the dead said, Lord, to the same one thing that will come one word out of my mouth today. That would have hurt or would have offended or grieved the Holy Spirit. Because you can grieve, and I'm wondering because we have grieved and quenched and hindered and vexed the Holy Spirit of God, we're in the state that we're in. There has to be personal encounters with God. He looked upwardly. He saw the Saviour. He looked inwardly. He saw himself. Not what other people think. Not even what you think. Because let me quote that text again. The heart is deceitful. He looked upwardly and he saw the Saviour. He looked inwardly and he saw himself. He looked outwardly and he saw the service. He looked upwardly and he saw the holiness. He looked inward and he saw the deceitfulness. He looked outward and he saw the ungodliness. And all this happened 
when he had an encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ. And I'm going to suggest to you now, if you can look to there was an encounter at the cross. Because we can't read these verses without coming to the cross oh, of our Lord. So what happened to him then said I in verse 5 then said I woe is me for I am I am undone I am useless I am worthless I am sinful there was confession and there was repentance whatever he seen whatever was revealed to him in this place he confessed and he repented and then when you see the day, and then said I, when he had the vision, then said I, woe is me. You see, there were five woes in the other chapters, woe to others all the time, all the time. And we can woe to others and not woe to ourselves. There's nobody better than that than me. And woe to the churches, and woe to the ministers, and woe to our people for not coming to the prayer. But what about my soul? My heart. He says, woe is me, for I am undone, and I am useless, I am worthless, that's what that word means. I am really undone. Then we see it in verse 6, then of the other then, and then said I in verse 5, then flew one of the seraphim, one of these mighty, godly, creative, sinless beings, from the throne of God came, then, then when, when he confessed and when he repented. But he said, woe is me. I tell you, it would have been there yet if it had never done it. The Lord wants to come to us tonight and he wants to come to you that's listening to me wherever you are tonight. He wants to bless you. He wants to take care of the valley. He wants to lift you up. He wants to minister to you. He wants to show you a new vision. He wants to show you a new blessing. But he can't, he can't, he can't. You see, this man did once it showed, it, he showed, it showed, it showed it to him, he did it. <coughs> he used the word unclean twice, and then sin and iniquity. There's a confessing. And when the confessing came, the cleansing came. Verse 6. Then flew one of the seraphims unto me, having a live coal in his hand, which he taken with the tongs from off. The altar. Now I could say much about that. I could say, ask you the question, could they feed these servants? Well, they must. Because they had to take a pair of old tongs. The tongs were used on the altar for the sacrifice. They're sacrificing a the lamb here. They've offered a the sacrifice. They've shed the blood. The smoke is there. All is there. Everything is there. And this mighty heavenly being comes down and lifts an old pair of tongs. Oh, what ministry is it that, my friend? The eternal Son of God came down and got a basin and washed the feet of the disciples. That would lead me out into some terrible ministry. Then this mighty burning serpent, because that's what you wear, burning fiery serpent. Can I say this? They could not make a move until the Lord sent them. Not a move. The Lord had to send them. 
But I believe that when the Lord heard the woe, and when he heard the honesty, and when he saw and heard the confession, and the repentance, and the brokenness, for this message is called the Valley of Brokenness, when he saw the brokenness, he said to the shadow, go to that man. Down he came, waiting first of all on the command of God, God the, the minister, these, these were ministers, ministering angels. We're supposed to be ministers. We're supposed to minister the word. I often wonder do we wait long enough? Do we wait for the word from God before we go and deliver it? Then came this seraphim, took the tongs and the live coal from off the altar. There was a confessing. There was a cleansing, there was a purging. Boy, it swept down to the altar where the lamb was being offered, and it took the red hot burning coal of the altar and pressed it onto the lips of the servant of God. It doesn't say whether he felt it or not. It doesn't say about his pain, but I think he must have. There's, there's an eye, friend, there's pain. And that live coal lifted by that mighty seraphim touched his lips, touched it, didn't touch his feet, didn't touch his hands, didn't touch his hands, touched his lips. There was the problem. There was the problem. But you know the difference, my friend, is him and us is this. When he saw the problem, when he saw what God showed him, he, he immediately repented. And maybe the Lord's speaking into some of your hearts tonight and saying to you something tonight about your tongue and your voice and your words or wherever you are tonight, but you're not going to repent of it. Well, then there'll be no blessing. There'll be no blessing. Touch them, purge them. Your iniquity and your sin is purged. They're two different things. Which I'm not going to go into tonight. Your iniquity and your sin is purged. Let me ask you this question in the light of this text here. Can we be iniquitous and sinful and not know it? And the answer is abundantly yes. Yes. The more we get into the presence of the Lord, the more we get closer to the Lord, the more He'll show us things. The more we. You asked, I've asked the Lord, may I have the greatest desire for prayer? Well, I have the greatest desire to witness for the Lord. You ever get in before the Lord and just ask the Lord, show me. Isaiah, look at this now as we come down to it. Isaiah said, woe in verse 5. The seraphim said, lo in verse 7. God said, go in verse 9. 
Uno gol hace ahora. Also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? Now don't miss those two words for us, because the Holy Trinity is involved in it. The Holy Trinity is involved in this. All of heaven's involved in it. Don't get the Trinity all involved in the scriptures very often. But you do get it in reference to man. How do you mean that? The creation. What happened in Genesis? Salvation. What happened? God said, let us make man. The whole trinity was involved in making man. The whole trinity of the devil now is trying to destroy it. That's what I was reading the vows to these ones today. That the marriage is between life, between the man and his wife, between one man and one wife, one man and one woman. And I emphasize it and I said we need to, we need to emphasize that in this day in which we live in. That goes out to those videos. Let us make man, the whole trinity is involved in making man. I tell you, the whole trinity is involved in saving man. God's great salvation, the whole trinity was involved in saving you and me. Yes, God brought it. Christ brought it. The Spirit brought it. And man thought the whole trinity is involved. Here we have it. Who will go for us? This is where the great missionary text comes in now. We're not taking a long missionary text because we're finished already. Read verse 8 again. Also I heard a voice of the Lord saying, Who shall I send and who will go for us? Then said I, here am I send me. Now, let's stop. Why didn't God say to Isaiah, Isaiah, you're the man. You're the man. You've had a fresh vision of me. You've repented of your sins. You're coming into a new place. You're coming out of the valley. I have a work for you to do. Now you, 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 you're the man that has got the touch. You're the one that he touched. Yeah, I have touched you. You're ready for action. You're ready for it. Go. No, no. God asks the question because we have a choice. We have a choice. Who shall I send? Or who will go for us? We're waiting on an answer. He's waiting on an answer maybe for us tonight, those that are listening. He's waiting for an answer. Nancy says, Here am I. Send me. Once he said that, he stepped out. He didn't know what was before him. Boy, it wasn't good. Do you know 
He didn't know what was reform, he didn't care what was reform, but I know when he comes into the next chapter, the very next chapter, he's all full of Christ. He talks about the incarnation, he talks about his birth in chapter 7 14. Look at it, look at chapter 7 verse 14. Therefore, the Lord himself shall give you sight to whom the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name the man. And that's why some people call him the Emmanuel Christ. I tell you, there was none of this before this. He's full of Christ. He needn't turn over. If you go over to chapter 9, you know that verse well that reduces Christian. Unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. The government shall be upon his shoulder. There he's talking about his life. The government shall be upon his shoulder. Name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Prince of Peace, the Mighty God. He's talking about his life. When he comes to Isaiah 53, he's full of his death. He was wounded for our transgression. He was bruised for our iniquity. If my friend of a vision or an encounter with God doesn't enhance our view of the cross and of Christ, there's something wrong with it. Here am I, send me wherever you want me to go, whatever I say. I'll just be your shepherd. I'll keep my eyes fixed upon me. May God help us tonight to keep our eyes fixed on the living Christ and to get low on the cross and ask him every day to touch our lips, cleanse us, and he'll commission us into whatever he wants us to do. As long as we're open, as long as we're available, Long as we say, Lord, I'm happy to give up the farm. Happy to give up my job. Whatever you want me to do, you might never ask you to do that. But you might. You're going to have to say, Here I am. Send me.